0: Welcome to the Water People Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Hill, and my co-host is Dave Rastovich. This season is supported by Patagonia, whose purpose-driven mission is to use business to save our home planet. We acknowledge the Bundjalung Nation, The first and ongoing custodians of the land and waters where we work and play, who have lived, worked, and cared for this sea country for tens of thousands of years. Respect and gratitude to all First Nations people who continue to practice the cultural, spiritual, and educational customs of their ancestors. Today we're in conversation with surfer Chelsea Woody. Chelsea is a neuroscience nurse who moonlights as a Vans surf ambassador. She's also a filmmaker and co-founder of Textured Waves, which works to expand representations of female surfers in particular by bolstering the work and play of women of color. Textured Waves was founded by three African-American female surfers, Chelsea, Martina Duran, and Danielle Black Lyons who felt the void of representation and inclusion of black and brown surfers in mainstream depictions of surf media. Since banding together in 2019, they've collaborated and consulted with major brands like Adobe and Adidas, as well as surf brands like the Sia and Vans, and were featured surfing on a billboard in Times Square. Through textured waves and her own surfing prowess chelsea is crafting fresh surfing narratives that continue to ripple around the globe we connected with chelsea in june 2022 and got to ask her about being a healthcare provider during the pandemic learning to surf later in life the impetus for quitting her job to travel and the colonial roots of hair straightening all right let's listen together so we begin these conversations in the same place each time, and that's by asking the question about a time or experience after which you were never the same. Do you have a story like that you'd be willing to share?
1: Um, I think I have <laughs> a lot of stories like that, but um, I think the last couple of years in 2020 was really hard for a lot of people, myself included, um, and. I guess I was never the same after that year. Just being a nurse working during the pandemic was really life-changing. Just witnessing all of, you know, the families and grief folks were going through and getting sick with COVID myself. I uh, also experienced a loss during that time and was really sick and, yeah, dealing with that year was very hard, but it, I made it to the other mm.
0: side
1: and with the help of surfing and my mm. husband, but yeah, I would say 2020, <laughs> the pandemic was very hard and I, I'm not the same. And it's crazy because during that time, it was like the worst time of my life but also all of these opportunities were coming to me in Mm. ways that I could not even imagine. And they also kind of kept me going like surf opportunities um, and more exposure with textured waves, which is an organization that I'm part of. So yeah, I think that was one defining moment in my life that has really shaped me and changed the trajectory really of my life.
0: I saw that you said that 2020 was, quote, the most traumatic year in your entire life, physically, mentally, emotionally, and the only time you'd ever wished that you weren't a healthcare provider. For those of us who, you know, didn't get to experience what it was like being in the hospital system during that time, can you talk us through why it was so intense?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was just a very scary time to walk into work not knowing what you were going to be exposed to, not having the right equipment, (laughs) not having enough staff, not being able to protect yourself and not knowing what you were going to bring home or what you were going to encounter was just very scary to have such an unknown. And when you're a nurse, you walk into work every day, not knowing what you're going to expect, but this felt so -hmm. much different. Staff, administration, patients, um, you could just feel the, the just grief and intensity. And um, it was palpable, like people's fears around this. So it it's kind of hard to describe actually, because it was so traumatic, but I think for me, like getting mm-hmm. sick myself before. So I guess I'll go back um, in January of 2020. We were already starting to see a lot of cases of a mysterious respiratory illness that was kind of sweeping the hospital, and staff members were really sick from it. But we didn't really know what it was. We just thought it was a cold. Um, And then it wasn't until like March or mid-March that there was lockdowns, and it seemed like hospital staff were taking things more seriously. So that unknown period um, from January to March was kind of really one of the most intense parts of working in the hospital because we just weren't sure what was going on. And then it became clear, like, this is COVID. We have it here in the States and it is in our hospitals. It's in Santa Cruz and we're unprepared for it. And yeah, it was just, it was really hard. I don't know how to explain to anybody who doesn't work in the hospital or work in the hospital, what that was like, it felt um, like we were abandoned by a lot of, you know, Mm -hmm. the world, you know, folks got to stay at home and we had to continue going in to work with no PPE um, and are expected to maintain composure in a high stress environment um, where People are really fighting for their lives. I, we had mm. never seen that before. We'd never seen it on such a massive mm. level.
0: You you mentioned that you suffered a loss during that time. Is that something you are interested in talking about? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so we me and my husband found out we were pregnant in um December uh 2019. So um we we're really excited. And everything was going along smoothly, and all of our scans were looking great. And then I think it was after, like our 12 week scan. I remember because it was, if my math is correct, um, it was after uh, Valentine's Day. And, you know, after 12 weeks, people are like, "Oh, you can start telling people." So I told everybody at work, and went to work that day, and everybody was sick. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, why are all my coworkers sick?" I'm so scared. I had already been wearing a mask my for the last three months because I didn't want to get the flu. Um, and I went to work on that Friday, and on Sunday I was really sick with a sore throat and um, a cough, and that lasted for like three or four weeks. And I couldn't breathe at night, and my healthcare providers were. Like, oh, it's just the cold that's going around. Don't worry about it. We don't have COVID here. But meanwhile, I thought this must be (laughs) like Mm -hmm. related to COVID. And then I got over that sickness and, um, you know, you get labs around the 15, 17 week time. And those labs showed that my placenta wasn't Mm -hmm. doing so great and signified that like, you know, it wasn't providing enough nutrients to my baby and when all of my scans before that were really beautiful. Um, and so I immediately was like, well, this was from the sickness that I just had this mysterious respiratory sickness Just flash forward. I ended up getting um, severe early onset mm. preeclampsia. And I, I don't know if everybody will know what that is, but it's a disease of the placenta. It's common um, during pregnancy. And it just means your placenta is not working well. So your body compensates, but the only way to, um, to cure it is to deliver your baby. Mm -hmm. So at about six months, um, the doctors told me like, I, I, you know, couldn't pursue this pregnancy any longer because I was going to die. And, um, um, I actually caught it myself. Um, one night, I don't know if I'm explaining this in the right order, sorry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I'm just getting really teary because I I also had a placental, I had placenta previa during my pregnancy. And so I'm just feeling you and Mm. I bet. Thank you for, thank you for sharing. It's really generous of you to share.
1: It's hard to recount because it was such a traumatic time. Um, (laughs) But I, I want to share it because I feel like when people are informed, they can make better decisions. And it's not something that we don't often talk about. Women are expected to keep their pregnancy secret. And if there's something wrong, they're expected to hold it inside. Um, And if they've had a loss, you know, there's, they're expected to not share. Um, Even though, you know, you're, you're very invested in your, your baby and you're growing Mm -hmm. another human, but yeah. So I was sick for a while, you know, we were trying to see if I could maintain this pregnancy. And then just one day I woke up with like just slightly swollen eyes and I wasn't sure if that was because I had been crying for several weeks or not. And I weighed myself and I gained like 10 pounds and I, I'm a pretty mm. small person. And that to me as a nurse signified to me that I there's something going on mm. with my heart. Um, because when people are in heart failure, they often gain weight mm. really quickly. Um, so I decided to check my blood pressure and my blood pressure was like 160s over 80s which is really high for somebody who's athletic and then um by the time I got to the hospital they were like you're going to have a stroke or have seizures because your blood pressure is so high and all of that has to do with your placenta not working and then your body mm-hmm. compensating to to try to get nutrients to your baby and you know the compensation mechanisms that happen in your body your kidneys start to fail your your heart rate starts to go up and your blood pressure and Mm -hmm. Um, these are to swell so that was happening to me and then um yeah it was a very traumatic loss but I think it's really Mm -hmm. important to talk about because we don't often like hear folks talk about this and and also I heard stories of famous athletes African-American athletes telling their traumatic birthing stories like Serena Williams shared her Experience um, of having blood clots and not being believed in the hospital. And then Allison Felix shared her experience of having um, preeclampsia as well. And that was like weeks before I got really sick. And so hearing their stories helped me to like recognize symptoms Mm -hmm. in my own body and to be hyper aware of what could happen, even to an athlete, even to somebody who's considered affluent and healthy. So yeah, mm. that's the reason I want to share. <laughs> um, just so other people who might be feel like they're relating to my story, it might help them.
2: I think um I, I think you're you're exactly right, Chelsea, and thank you for being so um open and and sharing. And I, I also feel like it was such a huge thing for us around the time of um Lauren being pregnant and our little boy coming to to speak to uh, friends um, and just strangers even who knew perhaps that we were going through something and shared that they'd also had a rough ride or had experienced a loss and, um, and, and actually being quite surprised quite often by mm-hmm. how many people have had that but weren't yeah, open and sharing that information, but actually, how useful it, it is for the rest of us to hear our uh, our stories and mm-hmm. to understand our um, shared journeys a little more. And also, I feel like. In places that are uncommon so you know like right now people might be tuning into this to listen to us talking about surfing <laughs> and water related things and all of a sudden that they're, they're listening to to this oh, what preg-
0: pregnancy is surfing
2: yeah and it's <laughs> but that's a really meaningful thing so it's kind right. of like oh <laughs> this is a good thing to be able to to have these stories in in perhaps uncommon places where it might be a really helpful and useful surprise for people.
0: Chelsea, I really want to pick up on um, a point you made about how you caught your preeclampsia. I um, was pregnant in Australia. We have universal healthcare here. I'm really grateful for that. It meant an incredible deal during the tumultuous time that we had with luckily getting to deliver a baby Early, but alive. Um, it meant we didn't have debt on top of that, you know. Trauma. The U.S. has basically the highest maternal mortality rate in the Western world, and that rate's especially high for Black and Brown women. As a nurse, can you can you shine some light on that experience? I just wanted to use this as a way to talk about the. Potentially fatal consequences of the institutionalized racism that permeates, maybe kind of unexpected spaces, or unexpected if you don't if you don't have to grapple with the realities.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Unexpected if you don't have to grapple with it. I think it does touch everything you know in the states, especially because it's so institutionalized and biases that healthcare Mm. provider providers may carry carry over into the way they treat patients sometimes. And I had to learn to be an advocate for myself. Not Mm. that my healthcare providers weren't good. It's just that I don't know that if I was somebody else, that I would have been believed Mm. I'm a nurse. So I know how to advocate for myself. I know how to navigate the healthcare Mm. system, even though it's very scary. And you know, you read stories about even Serena Williams, who felt like she had something going on because she had a yeah. blood clot before, so she knew how that, she knew how it felt, but wasn't maybe believed initially. So, I think this happens a lot. Like you know, we brown and black folks don't always have a lot of access to care, and maybe don't have the um, the experience in healthcare to. To advocate for themselves, we're often told, "Oh, just listen to the doctor. Listen to you know their recommendation. Mm -hmm. They know better." But really, you know your body the best, and and as a pregnant woman, especially, you have this intuition that should be heard. But to speak to the health disparities between Black or of Black and Brown women and birthing women, especially, a lot of times Mm -hmm. we're not believed. Our pain is not believed, Um, and this goes back to like the history of giving birth in this country as a black woman and being a wet nurse um, and being expected that your body can supply the needs to like all of the, the house children when you're a slave. Right. So I don't know if people know about that history of black women doing slavery times, like breastfeeding their master's children um, experiments being done, gynecological experiments being done on black women in the early stages of studies for gynecology without pain medication. So there's a long history there. Um and then, you know, there's also this misconception that we don't feel pain in the same way. Yeah, I I think that unless you you have a connection to the ways that institutionalized racism permeates all aspects of our society, whether it's in the water or um, in your workplace or seeking out health care. Mm. It's uh, it can be surprising.
0: It can. Thank you. Thank you for talking us through some of the the points of the really shameful history that our country still or well the US has, you know, is grappling with, has been grappling with, will continue to need to grapple with. I'd love to come back to the discussion of hair in a little bit. Um, I was going to say, you know, black bodies as sites of control, because I think hair is a a really poignant example of that. And I know that Textured Waves has addressed that conversation in such joyful ways. So I'd like to come back there. But um, first, I'd like to ask you about your foundational relationship with water. Which waters hold your earliest memories? Mm. You know, I I didn't grow up
1: being encouraged mm. to be in the lake or the ocean. Um, I think my dad is Thai. So he definitely had like a different experience with ocean and water spaces and tried to instill that into his children. And we did take swimming lessons with him. Did your
0: dad grow up in Thailand? Was he a first generation? Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: yeah he grew up in Thailand and he moved to the wow. States when he was in his thirties. So yeah, he did teach us, you know, to swim. And I think my first foundational experience is probably like in the pool with him. But that, that changed quickly because when I was old enough to like, you know, want to straighten my hair, that relationship mm. with the water really like diminished because I wanted to fit in. And like when you're at the pool with a bunch of kids that don't look like you and you, your hair, you Come out of the water, and you don't look like everybody else. And we're always meant to hide that mm-hmm. part of ourselves this African American women. So I think I, I grew to like this thing that started off as this, you know, experience with my father, um, grew to be mm-hmm. this thing that I avoided through my developmental years, since like a teen and beyond, because I was trying to preserve this unrealistic. Uh, image of beauty that Mm. was perpetuated in 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 media
0: yeah I mean I guess we can just go we'll just go to textured waves now because the segue is is there um (laughs) the work you're doing with textured waves is just um has been so beautiful to me so inspiring and um I know has made so many women and girls around the world feel seen and heard in ways that surf media has completely neglected. Um, so thank you for that. I'm interested. Well, I feel like a lot of people struggle with how deeply media representations shape most of us. I feel like most of us probably feel like we're immune to it, like we're above above it in some way. Um mm-hmm. it makes me think of when I was at uni, I took quite a few sociology classes, especially on the construction of gender. And I remember seeing a pioneering sociological researcher Dr. Jean Kilbourne's work. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she made a film called Killing Us Softly, which I assume is um, Mm -hmm. taken from the Roberta Flack song. Um, Everyone should see it. It's an incredible collation of basically how the media shapes the way we perceive gender. Um, And I just wanted to read a quote from that presentation, from the film that she does. She she said, this is from 2012, so it's a, a bit dated, but I think it's still relevant. And I'd love to just riff with you about her work. She wrote, quote, women of color are generally considered beautiful only if they approximate the white ideal, if they're light skinned, have straight hair, Caucasian features. An even bigger problem, however, for people of color in advertising is invisibility. Not that we see a lot of negative images, but that we see no images at all. What George Gerbner, a renowned media researcher, called symbolic annihilation. This means that one sees no reflection, that there's really no reflection at all. I have some ads in my collection, quite a few actually now these days, featuring Blacks, Hispanics, some Asians, but none or almost none featuring Native Hawaiians, other Pacific Islanders, Native Alaskans, or Native Americans. Other groups also suffer from symbolic annihilation, the differently abled lesbians and gay men the elderly the poor so when people say that advertising just reflects the society it's a very distorted reflection that leaves out huge groups of people i'm interested to know if this echoes the the charge that you all felt with founding textured waves
1: yeah for sure mm. especially that part about invisibility you know it's not that the surf industry or you know a lot of outdoor spaces um their media was doing anything like hmm. hurtful, you know, putting out bad imagery, there was none, you know, it was, it was almost non-existent. Like uh, we weren't a part or could not be a part of those worlds. So I think that's the big drive of Tetris to show everybody, not just young girls, but like everybody, we're part of the space and, you know, media hmm. can contribute to stereotypes that folks hold about others and belonging so yeah that it really resonates with me and that is a huge part of our drive and when we started out my co-founders Danielle and Martina we we didn't see that imagery growing up we didn't see like black women on waves especially African-American women and I think had we seen that a little earlier I don't know where my life would be you know I don't I don't know how that would have, you know, changed the trajectory of my life, but I think the first time I, I keep you referencing Blue Crush because it was, it's, it's probably so like, um, I imagine it's um, painful for a lot of people in surfing, you know, it's a painful moment, but for someone like me that did not live on the coast um, was, you know, had never, Michelle Rodriguez was like, she, she looked kind of like me, you know, and that was the first time I ever was like, whoa, what is this? You know, and I think it, you can take it for granted if you've um, grown up around it or your parents did it, your grandparents did yeah. it. It makes it easier to envision yourself. But yeah, I think it is really important, but not just like mm. advertisements, but also to put out like meaningful stuff as well. Meaningful media. Advertisements are so scary. And mm-hmm. the way they can manipulate our thoughts. Um and in that way it's it's almost like feels sinister, yeah. you know, to want to like inject these images into the media, but uh, it's like I don't know, yeah, necessary. <laughs> and um hopefully it's injecting some more beautiful imagery that's that breaks down those stereotypes.
0: Mm. Yeah. Hopefully just speaking to the, the imagery of surf media, I think they actually have done quite a job at releasing destructive imagery, actually, when, you know, when we think about the sexualization of lots of women and the way women were portrayed. As I was growing up as a little blonde-haired surf rat wow. in Florida, I know I felt incredibly uncomfortable and very sexualized by an industry bef- well before I was thinking about sex or sexualizing my own body, um oh,
2: what about just the other day when we pulled out the magazine we were lauren was working on something the other day and we
0: yeah we were, we were looking we, at change yeah. we we're thinking about change yeah. tracks did an article about ecofeminism and i was like wow this is radical <laughs> let's find a tracks from 20 years ago and see it wasn't
2: 20 years ago it was like <laughs> oh, yeah. 10
0: oh my it was so
2: not long ago and i picked it up because um my mum had found it at the the um you know, the op shop that she's volunteering at, and was like, Oh, Davey, there's pictures of you in this one. I'll give it to you. And so I, I was like, Oh, thanks, Mom. And started looking through it for <laughs> Lauren. We're like, Oh, let's have a look and see what kind of imagery or text there is about women surfing in this one, because I know it's not going to be good. And man, oh, man, it was like, I think it was half a dozen images. And I think only one of those images had a full body. They were just mostly shoulders down, turned around,
0: faceless, reef, objects,
2: reef shoes, um, just like butt ads. And none of the women were active. No, they were all in these passive positions. There was no surfing. Um, It was just atrocious. It was so atrocious. And it was. It was just a fascinating moment for us to see that it's the exact same magazine um, reaching out to Lauren going, please, please, can we do this eco-feminism surfing piece? And and that's only, that's only
0: because they are allowing women, white women at least, to write, to photograph, to let into the the gates of constructing yes. that world. And there's still a lot of right. work to be done. I really nerd out yeah. on the untold or underappreciated stories of surfing's foremothers. I think it's totally bizarre that we don't that we haven't seen more brown and black women um, depicted in surf media because next to the first Polynesian boys and Peruvian boys and Indian boys who were the first surfers, and and the, I think surfing sprung up spontaneously all over the world. Um, were brown and black girls right next to them. They, you know, brown and black women are the roots of surf culture, as we know it, the inventors um, alongside their brothers. And I'm thinking of also incredible, outstanding women like Princess Ka'iulani and Vihiatua of Tahiti and and these great stories that just have been excluded. I'm, as I think you share this um, excitement about uncovering stories of surfing's foremothers i'd love to hear from you about the icons the shiros or the heroes that we should all know about in the african-american surf community
1: yeah there are there are a few one being um andrea kibwasa
0: oh man that photo of her on the nose leaning back just pure uh, surrenders <laughs> oh timeless beauty yeah right mm. it's beautiful um
1: mm-hmm. and something that just only resurfaced recently she's a c- pretty quiet person I think camera shy maybe mm-hmm. so maybe that has something to do with it mm-hmm. but yeah um Mary Mills also was like an epic skateboarder or was back in the day but uh, she longboards she also mm-hmm. rides a mat and like she's super inspiring because she still gets out there on a mat and she shreds and so does Andrea um Sharon Schaefer she's the first pro African American surfer Mm. these are like women like in that first generation Mm. there's no real documentation before those women though and something else to note is that most of them started like at least for Andrea Mary started well into their like their 30s so this is like a a trend (laughs) that I hope starts to change. Yeah. And I think it is changing. I mean, I started in my thirties. So I think there's this thing about getting more comfortable in your own skin, women having more rights that like also yeah. contributes to that late start as well. But I think, um, Sharon maybe started in her early twenties, which yeah. is, that's insane, you know, <laughs> but I'm sure there's some, there's somebody else that we don't really know about, <laughs> you know, I'm sure of it. I'm sure there's somebody in Hawaii, you know, there's somebody, yeah, somewhere on the coast that was, you know, shredding or riding a boogie board or body surfing. But yeah, the, the documentation is very limited.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. And it's a real testament to, um, to the way surf culture has tended to be shaped by and for young white Californian men, mostly, so that, you know, their perspectives have dominated and left out stories that they weren't interested in. And maybe that wasn't necessarily malicious, but when we know better, we can do better. So let's acknowledge that that's what happened. And and let's, you know, I just feel a real responsibility to try to dig up those stories too. And
1: I think, you know, there were, there were like organizations working on Mm -hmm. those stories like in the early nineties and, you know, Tony Corley with Black Surfers Association, he wrote that letter to Surfer Mag calling all black surfers to like show themselves Uh, and then black surfers collective which is also an la area they did a lot to like you know try to like Mm. be out there in the media non-traditional media i think for surfing like i think there Mm. was an ebony magazine article or several of them um but yeah so I, I think it, we're not the first to try to preserve this but we do focus because yeah. their stories often get left behind
0: I read an interview you did with Mary Mills um yeah. who learned to swim at 23 and then started surfing after that which is just so incredible so brave what a legend um you asked her right. about where she sees the future of skateboarding and surfing for women of color. I really loved her response. She said, quote, in terms of the future, until Black women deal with their hair, our hair, nothing will change. It's all about the hair. It's not about ability. It's about hair. <laughs> Just to, to go back to that point, um, I wanted to ask you about the the Chris Rock documentary, Good Hair. Did that land for you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely watched that
1: and related to it. And I'm glad he made a documentary about it, but also it's kind of controversial now because he just made fun of yeah. a black woman about her yeah. hair, like, yeah. and having alopecia. But um, yeah, I mean, that the toxicity of lye, which is um, one of the main ingredients that Black women have used and has been marketed to Black women to use to straighten their hair, and like how that is detrimental to our not only mm-hmm. our health, but just our well being like it was really important for that to get out there you know and especially from a male's perspective you know having daughters and uh, just showing that like black men care about us being natural as well because it, it hasn't always been that way i'm not saying like um if somebody wants to straighten their hair to feel beautiful like i think some they should do that but it has been the standard that we've been told we had to adhere to to like make it anywhere like in schools you know kids are being punished for wearing their natural hair Mm. even to this day that's why there's the crown act that prohibits discrimination for hairstyle and you know back in the day black women had to wrap their hair to you know be seen as um presentable um, or braid their hair
0: basically calm it down and make make it go away and i think this isn't the One of the important points to get to is that as a Black woman, the way your body is naturally has been deemed unacceptable by mainstream society in terms of hair texture. And imagine like, for people who don't have Afro-textured hair, I think it can help to have that conversation about how deep this story goes and how it is linked to colonization and slavery and how tightly coiled African hair in the days of slavery was woven into this story of being similar to the wool of an animal. And that was part of the story of justifying inhumane exploitation of people. Like this, you know, it seems like it's just hair, but actually there's this deep symbolism of what hair means and stands for and how it continues to shape behavior that is absolutely unjust and unhealthy for everyone.
1: Yeah. And, you know, just um, the texture of your hair being like you were talking about the tightly woven hair um you know the lighter Mm. or the looser your texture the more accepted you are right so yeah I think that's why you know we really try to include all of the textures you know and how how a woman wants to present themselves because that's that's also a problem Mm. in media is just showing you know mixed girls you know with looser textures I think there's so many people to think about (laughs) for sure. (laughs) I agree with Mary about the hair thing, but I I also Mm. think it's so, so much part of our culture too. You know, so there, there's this, there has to be some balance there of like, because I I remember like some of my most formative memories of community or sitting in the salon and the the hair shop uh, that was attached to our church, you know, and like, there with all generations of black women talking story while we're getting our hair done for like four hours so that long it took you know and so it was like Mm. a yeah it's a community thing as well
0: so Mm. it's very complicated you mentioned earlier that care for your hair was part of what discouraged you from being in the water when did that change um
1: changed after I graduated from nursing school I wanted to. During that time period, I I'd lost my dad and I was doing a lot of internal reflection about what I wanted to do with my life. And I wanted to do a triathlon at that time. Like, the only way to train for triathlon is to like go swimming
0: all the time. I didn't know that. Is that how you train for a triathlon?
1: <laughs> well, the swimming portion. Yeah, right. Swim, yeah.
0: bike, run, you know?
1: <laughs> so yeah, and that's kind of when I started hmm. my natural hair journey. Yeah, I think when I started to like just accept my hair and the way you do it is like you cut your hair off. You either your big chop. Now this is getting into like really detailed things and I don't know if your listeners want to know. I love it.
0: It's great. Thanks for letting us in. It feels like a privilege. <laughs> um
1: <laughs> but yeah, you you transition your hair, you like chop it off little by little. Um, until your natural texture comes out. And yeah, that, that just kind of opened up a new world for me. I was no longer like scared of, you know, if somebody saw me on the slopes, because, you know, in in the mountains when it snows, like, yeah, your hair is going to do whatever. I didn't care if like people saw me snowboarding and my hair was, you know, natural or swimming or yeah, like surfing. And it also, you know, opened my world to travel as well. You know, you cut out this These extra steps in your day. Hmm. You know, suddenly you can quit your job and travel around the world with one backpack, Hmm. you know, not thinking about what you're going to put in your hair, what you're going to, how you're going to do your hair in the Himalayas, you know?
0: (laughs) No, accepting my hair is like (sighs) opened up this world. And you went for it. You and your husband left your jobs to travel extensively. Can you talk us through the impetus for that adventure? Where did you go and how did it lead to riding waves?
1: I think it was 2014, like when we decided like, oh, we're going to quit our jobs. We just had been living in Seattle and we were always escaping the city, like going to the mountains, uh, hiking, backpacking, snowboarding, and just spending a lot mm-hmm. of time away from the city that we actually love. And, and my husband hurt his knee really bad skateboarding and we had all these backpacking trips planned and kind of, kind of got little bummed and I was like forget those trips like let's let's do a a trip like let's go our jobs and travel so I like wanted him to you know I wanted to get him out of his like mood his depressed mood um about missing all these adventures and he was like there's no way we could do that I was like okay and then he's a big number cruncher and he was just like came back to me the next day and was like I you know, crunch some numbers. And I think that if we just sold everything and we worked really hard for like, you know, a year or so, like we could, we could actually do this. Like, what are we, what are we saving money for? We're never going to buy a house here. Like (laughs) let's just spend all that money on traveling. And so, yeah, we, I got another nursing job and we just really just worked for a while. And then we, we quit our jobs and like we're out of here. And, um, yeah, we, we did a cross country road trip, um, to drop our dog off in North Carolina. And then, <laughs> you know, we saw Utah and all, all of the cool stuff to see in the States. Um, and then we went to Montreal and then we bought a one-way ticket to Thailand. Mm. Um, I really wanted to, mm. uh, go visit my family there and have my husband meet them. And so we stay there for a while and. When our visa ran out, we booked a ticket to the next, well, actually, we took a slow boat to Laos and then traveled all throughout Laos and Vietnam, um, Malaysia, and yeah, Southeast Mm. Asia, India, Nepal, East Africa. But yeah, when we were in Southeast Asia, Mm. we went to Indonesia and that's when we found surfing. So we heard about Lombok and we heard that it was a good place to learn to surf. And so we just stayed there for a month and took a boat out to Dondon every day and surfed and stayed in a house mm-hmm. that uh, a family ran. And, yeah, it was really beautiful. <laughs> um, and that's that's kind of just where the whole surfing journey mm-hmm. started and we learned together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was good and bad. <laughs> I bet. <That's> fantastic. <laughs> that's
0: always a little complex. Apologies for the interruption while we take a moment to thank the folks who helped make the podcast possible. Sunbutter Skincare is committed to protecting people and the planet. They make vegan, reef safe SPF 50 sunscreen packaged in reusable and recyclable tins. They're also the world's first certified palm oil free sunscreen brand. Check out sunbutter.com.au to learn more about their skin and ocean friendly lines of sunscreen, surf sink, and skincare. Sinook has been advocating for a more playful and inclusive surfing culture for more than two decades while crafting some of the comfiest footwear around. Thanks for your support, Sinook, and for encouraging water people around the globe to protect their happy places. Learn more about Sinook's partnership with the Surfrider Foundation at sanuk.com. Thanks also to Gary McNeil Concepts, who build cosmic surfboards for cosmic people. Gaza's boards combine recycled and plant-based materials that are built to last without sacrificing performance. To learn more, head to garymcneilconcepts.com.
2: Chelsea, I'm always really curious about people's personal relationship to surfing. And we've been speaking lately about you know, you see representations of surfing through films and um, books and whatever you know projects people do, and and usually surfers get their their nickers in a knot about how surfing's represented, and it, it doesn't represent what it means to them, and it's it's you know different for everyone. And we're just talking about how you can sit in the lineup and you'll be surfing the the same waves. Um, together but actually having a completely unique experience like your personal experience can be completely the opposite to the person sitting right next to you in the lineup and how um, from that very center of the surfing experience being so sort of personal it is so interesting and varied and wonderful to hear what surfing means to people and how it fits into their life given that kind of diversity and and range so I'm curious when you started there in Lombok how were you approaching it were you wanting a physical challenge was it a type of emotional release experience what kind of role did you see surfing playing as you started to I guess fall in love with it or or start to incorporate it into your life
1: well we rented our first boards I think like on my 30th birthday and my goal on that day was that I'm gonna catch 30 waves which is like on my belly you know
0: (laughs) super ambitious still still ambitious 30 waves is a lot (laughs) (laughs) I was like it's
1: my 30th birthday I'm gonna catch 30 waves and we're at this I can't even remember where we were now (laughs) but we were at this little beach break and There were people on the beach and like I came in and I was like, I caught 30 waves, even though it was, you know, (laughs) whatever that was in my mind, I think on my stomach or falling off, whatever. It felt like I had accomplished my goal for that day. And then we get in on the beach and there's these people and they're like, oh, man we just really wanted you to catch away. We were rooting for you. And I was like, so mad <laughs> oh, no. in my head. I was like, "Oh, so crazy. I thought I was doing the thing, you know? And like, that really stuck with me. It feels like it. It always feels like it. <laughs> and like that stuck with me, like the stubbornness, I think of wanting to do it on my own. Like, um, <laughs> like not wanting to be pushed into waves. <laughs> like, um, And, but then like, for me, it first started off, I think as like an internal, like thing that I felt like I could do if I could just really try, you know, like this internal competition just with myself, not even with like anybody around me, but like, I felt like I, sh- I want to be able to do this. <laughs> and then it turned into this, you know, <laughs> Obviously, I'm, you know, an adult learner and learn Plato in life. I'm not going to be, you know, the same surfer as somebody who's been surfing since they were like a baby or, you know, five. And just really seeing other women like do with surfing what they felt kind of became became more of a self-expression and like Mm -hmm. just um, doing what... (laughs) I feel it feels good, you know, not having a ton of expectations on myself. um obviously, I always want to get better and I always want to like you know learn something new, but mm-hmm. I understand that I have started when I was thirty and that you know it might mm-hmm. I might be like fifty when I'm where I want to be, but in my mind, it feels so different and like just kind of like holding on to that, you know like that feeling and that sensation and like trying to replicate that I think that became more of the drive is like not worrying so much about what it looked like to anybody else because I guess I wasn't really worried yeah (laughs) that guy was like you weren't doing the thing but in my mind I was doing it never looks
2: it never ever looks as good as it feels (laughs) it's (laughs) never the same
1: right (laughs) And that's. I'm
2: telling you, it doesn't. It never does. <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Maybe when you do, yeah, it, it you does. feel too much. <laughs> well, no, that's good to hear. But in my mind, it it feels good. It feels so good, and like that's what I'm chasing. And just yeah, and even if I still feel like I have these goals I want to reach, I don't put a ton of pressure on mm. myself to be like anybody else because I I'm not like anybody else mm. out there. That's for sure. You're um... I already know
0: that. <laughs> We chatted or we wrote back and forth a little bit about this, that you've been surfing for seven years, (laughs) seven years. That is like so little time. You're, you're incredibly naturally talented. It's amazing that you're as talented, like that you can surf as well as you do after only, you know, having been surfing for seven years, you've started working with Vans as a sponsored athlete. I'm 36 and I'm sponsored by a surf brand. I did not see that coming for myself at all. I thought I would be way beyond my years um, at this point in my life. Uh, I saw that you went to the North Shore with vans this past winter. And I was so curious. I spent a few winters there during the surf circus of the tour coming through and all of the watchedness of having cameras around And I felt like such an outsider (laughs) there. Um, I was just curious to ask you about what your experience was like in the, in this, like really coming into the belly of the the beast of competitive, commodified, competitive surfing. What was that like for you as a newbie, like as a fresh surfer?
1: Yeah, no, it was uh, very overwhelming. It was like, you can feel the energy place is palpable, not just like the ocean energy, but like all the talent. I don't know. There's just like mm-hmm. an energy there that I was like, I just could feel it. And yeah. it was overwhelming. And just somebody who's like, I'm an outsider, you know, to be able to witness just all, all the greatness that was going down. But um, yeah, I, I definitely you know I'm I'm obviously also like much older Mm. than a lot of these folks too that are there and there was no expectation on me Mm. to like be (laughs) like going out there and ripping and shredding and you know competing with anybody so that was nice but Mm. I think what it showed me is that it is very insular which is something that I think I I knew (laughs) um and that there's there's
2: you're so kind with your words you're really really kind
1: there's room for change and opening up some doors um (laughs) yeah I just it was overwhelming I think that was the biggest thing I'd take away from it as I felt very very overwhelmed but um it was a challenge for me in many ways and I was lucky to be able to like tag along with Leanne Curran and you know Holly,
0: yeah. I was gonna ask you, did you find the edge of your you comfort? out at some places that I was like, oh, should I go out? Oh, yeah, that, that'll sure? show Are it me? to
2: you for sure. <laughs> Powerful.
1: I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. I found it at Haleva. Mm-hmm. And well, the first day that I paddled out, I um was okay, like the conditions were clean, and like I actually caught one wave, and I was with one of our managers, and I was like, okay, I can do this. But then the second day, I was like, should we be going out. Like, I just don't feel like I should be going out because it's kind of windy. It just doesn't look the same. And yeah, I got my, I got my ass handed to me, but I also was like, okay, this is the limit. I didn't like, I know my limits right now. And like, I'm going to yeah. just go in,
0: you know, and there's no shame in that. Like, I feel like, I think Hawaii shows everyone their limits. Everyone gets to find their limit in Hawaii. Everyone,
1: Right. Yeah. And I think yeah, I, I didn't have any, um, I wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody, but I knew I could handle a little bit, but not.
2: Mm, good on you.
1: I wasn't trying to prove anything. <laughs> I did want to like, you know, push myself just a hair. But the hair the hair is like, that was enough. Like what I thought was a little yeah. like.
2: It's to be experienced for every surfer. I think there's a, a, a real need to go there and,
1: yeah. <laughs> and to acknowledge. A lot.
2: Um, You know, the rich and the depth of the surfing life that was lived by the ancients in Hawaii and is continued by Hawaiians now. And it's a very special place that way. I was curious to ask you, Chelsea, if you've had many surf adventures in the world that are outside of the very California, very Australian, very sort of mainstream idea of what surfing is
1: mm. um yeah you know i think i had an adventure in thailand that was like mm. because I, i'm half thai and i wanted to you know experience that culture and um see what the ways were like there i know they're not they're nothing like where anybody would yeah. be like i'm going to southeast asia but i'm going to thailand to surf most people are like (laughs) Indonesia or something. And yeah, I think that one, Mm. that experience was totally different for me because it was more of like, Oh wow. This is like the ocean that like my grandfather was in and like my father and my, all my family and the waves weren't great, but I also wasn't like good at (laughs) like beach break at that time. So it's totally learning experience for me. And, just watching um there weren't very many thai surfers at this break it was in phuket so Mm. i don't really think that's like the best place to surf but um i think that's the one of the only trips that i took where i was it wasn't like this mainstream type of experience um Mm. i i mean i've definitely been on like boat trips in indonesia but i feel like that's still pretty you know, mainstream.
0: Oh yeah, sorry. I was just hearing the the challenge to the subjective, well it's yeah, totally subjective idea of good waves and how when you're you know you're in a sea that your ancestry is linked to and you have this rich cultural history and you go in and get to have food that you know is connected to your family in a deep and meaningful way and that makes for good waves, no matter what the actual waves are doing. Uh, One of the things I love about you, Chelsea, is um, I feel like in surf culture, you help us expand what the idea of a good surfer is by bringing your rich, your rich experience as a nurse, your life experience, you know, your, your perspective as a black woman with your own journey with your hair and moving through that. and Yeah. Just expanding that idea of, of goodness into all different parts of the, the lived experience of being a surfer.
1: Thank you. I, those are really kind <laughs> words and I, I hope that I'm you know adding a different perspective. At least I try to with like, you know, the films that we make and that I've made. Um, I always try to like bring a different perspective mm-hmm. and inject a little bit of my thoughts on the world or experiences that I've had it, it's been you know hard but really great to have surfing during the time when i was really sick um you know yeah. while we were making cs now I film that i wrote and i was pregnant during that time when we filmed it and then during the post production i um wow. was uh, i was in the hospital i, I I did some of the voiceover in the hospital and, you know, I, I, I hoped mm. that that film would be something that I could share with my daughter, you know, and um, look, look at all the things that we did, you know, but I try to, I try to bring a different perspective and I hope that people appreciate the, the films. And I I think it's sometimes hard for folks to, like you were talking about like being sponsored by thirties. And you've only been surfing for seven years. I think it's hard for folks to wrap their head around that. Like, yeah, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that, also. Like, I wow. didn't expect this, you know. I was my most sick during these times where electric waves and all the stuff we were doing was taking off. Definitely being a sponsored hmm. surfer was not something that was my goal. I almost was like kind of anti that type of thing. Um, To me, like to be able to speak your voice, it's sometimes it gets diminished a little bit when you Mm. um, have a brand that you have, you know, you're representing, you have to kind of mute yourself in some ways. And um, I didn't want that for myself. I, I always saw textured waves as a platform for us to Be able to say the things that people who do have those obligations can't say, you know. And so it isn't something that I I dreamed of or imagined, but I appreciate their support. And I understand that you can't these days, you cannot get a message out into the world unless there's some money behind it (laughs) or you can't say something without selling something, if that makes sense.
2: I'm curious about that there is um it's really interesting you say that i was just up on the great barrier reef in the north of australia the last few days and we're hanging with some first nations mob there who are doing amazing restoration work on the reef and we are having a bit of a chat and um, someone was there with the camera and they were talking about how great it would be to be able to share some of the knowledge sharing experiences that have been happening up there with old, deep-time First Nations knowledge and modern sort of know-how knowledge that's coming from science communities and um, other operators up there. And and uh, so this person was saying, oh, it would be great to be able to um, document this and, and share this with the masses. And uh, one of the local Indigenous fellows was like, we're already doing it. We're, we you and me. We're doing it now. We're, we're sharing knowledge now, and it'll ripple out in its own ways. And the people who are ready to hear what we're sharing will hear that and come, and we'll sit around a fire, or we'll go on the reef and swim together, and that's okay. And it was just an interesting moment of feeling, I guess, kind of the, the modern. Need for speed that it seems like a lot of us have. Like we've got to get these, we've got to get these wheels turning faster. We've got to reach lots of people. We need this to get out and you know illuminate these dark corners of of um, culture and community. And it was just an interesting experience of seeing these two worldviews cross over. And I have to say, I was much more of a fan of the that idea that oh, it's okay, we we're, we're doing what needs to be done between us right here and that's cool and I just thought I'd share that and and see how you felt or what if you have any thoughts around that because sounds like you may be in similar positions where you're doing that work but you're also dancing that line of wanting to share that on a broader level
1: yeah I mean I think about what was done before you know um, all the movements um, in black surfing there were these like very small pockets of folks doing stuff that couldn't really get that message out. You know, they did build the foundation and it grew and it grew and um, slowly. And I think it's still growing slowly. I think these last several years, though, with this attention, it's been able to grow a little quicker. And I'm, I'm not, I don't know if that's good or bad. You know, I guess I'm a little, uh little torn about it but I, I I do think that there needed to be some some spark some fire that was spread because there were too many people not seeing it you know not having that that access mm. and but I do I struggle with it too uh, you know like I I am very careful about like Lauren was talking about I don't want to be in everybody's bikinis you know I, I, just, I like surfing in a wetsuit I try to be very selective about what I'm doing, make sure like, is this going to reach a different audience that I think could benefit from this? Like, is this opportunity that I'm taking going to,
0: Mm.
1: you know, not compromise like my standards, my morals. And that's really hard sometimes in this this day and age of like what you were saying, like the constant, like needing to do something all the time. But I'm I'm trying to learn that Mm. too. Like, it's okay to be a little slower
0: because mm. everything
1: that did happen has happened so quick and mm. it's okay to have a, a long burn is, <laughs> is better than just mm. like uh, everything going up in flames. But mm. I think that I do, I struggle with that one for sure because you want to create longevity as well. Um, meaningful things.
2: Does surfing, does surfing fit in for you with that long burn with helping you maintain then like, where is surfing for you now in that in that mix like if you're working hard and and you need to cool your jets and and slow things down a little bit is it surfing that helps with that or something else
1: yeah no it's surfing that helps with that but not around other people
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah speaking our language
1: <laughs> <laughs> or like you know um I, I often like sneak out like right before dark or go outside of town to surf. And I think that's when I feel the most, um, just, you know, more settled with everything that's going on. Um, Cause it is, it's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming <laughs> yeah. place to be in. I'm a little getting more anxious about like cameras and stuff. And like, it, which is ironic, right? Because what I am doing and what we're doing is like, see yeah. us, you know, like mm. see everything we're doing, but in your day-to-day life, it can feel a little uh, <laughs> exhausting and trying to make, main- because before mm. all of this, like me and my husband are very private people. <laughs> like we told people, don't bring your cell phones to our wedding. You know, And when we traveled, we barely shared any mm. images of that because we wanted to be in the moment. Um, so all of this is mm. like a very much a, <laughs> a different approach for me. My husband's still very proud of it, (laughs) but yeah, I think, I think it's good and bad. And like I said earlier, like sharing part of my story and even the hard stuff is, is it's important, I think. And to me, like, I hope that it it makes what I'm doing a little more meaningful is like there's a human, like I'm putting a human element into it. And Mm -hmm. that hurts sometimes to share those things that are personal, but hopefully it's relatable to somebody.
0: I, I was reading uh, an interview that my friend Rhea Cortado did with you and Sachi. Um, that was such a lovely testament to your friendship. And I, I saw that you and yeah. Sachi went out to Mavericks and you got to watch those big, beautiful waves break. And it made me wonder if surfing for you at this point in your life is. Aspirational, if it's a, a source and a site of pushing yourself physically, if big waves are in the picture for you, or if it means something completely different than that, you know, if if it's just a cruisy place for you, which direction is it going right now? Well, if it was up to Sachi,
1: they would be in my life. She's always, she's like, "You can do this, Chelsea," and I'm like, "No." <laughs> i thought yeah even that day she was like pan around and send the channel with me yeah and i was like i just don't i don't feel like that's the right thing for me to do and then this huge cleanup set just cleared the whole lineup and i was like if i would have been out there i would have i would have been dead so no i mean i do want you know sachi challenges me like i i go out and conditions with her that I, you know, probably Hmm. wouldn't think I could do like an OB and it's always, always ends up being just so fun and like, just, uh, yeah, (laughs) a great way to push my boundaries. Um, but I'm not, (laughs) I'm more of a I think. And, you know, just, you know, getting close to that limit. (laughs) I, I don't know if I have it in me to to do the big waves with her, but <laughs> we'll see how I feel in ten years. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but she is definitely inspiring, though, and I, I love but like, just being there and watching her, like watching her swim out there. That was crazy because there was just this huge wow. bait ball and there's wow. sharks up there, you know. And she was just swimming like a little seal <laughs> these huge waves, but it was terrifying.
2: Do you have aspirations if it's yeah, yeah and and it's good to be honest because that's you don't want to mess around in that kind of water. If you don't feel like you should be there, you mm-hmm. shouldn't be there. Oh what about no. aspirations? I know Lauren no. the last few years um has been on a mission to get barreled and <laughs> is is now there and can do that. Um not huge, not long, not deep it's barrels, but B-grade definitely buzzes. in there. <laughs> they used to be D-grade dazzers. Now they're B-grade bazzers. It's yeah. good. It's good. <laughs> so, do you have other aspirations? Though, like when you go surfing, if you feel something like, "Oh, I just cross-stepped to the nose," and I go to cheetah five, or you did a certain turn that surprised yourself, do you do you approach surfing that way, or not so much that way?
1: <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i mean at my heart of i'm still like very competitive and want to be better and like definitely like want to ha- get an ocean barrel i've only like, <laughs> been, like days,
0: but,
1: oh it's behind me but i can't like slow down um it doesn't count if you do it at a wave pool i don't think <laughs> and um mm. and yeah yeah like i have so many like goals I want to accomplish with my surfing and not just short boarding but long boarding too like I don't think there's ever uh, I think that's what's so great about it is I don't feel like I'll ever ever I mean obviously I started late so I'm never gonna be at that top but I just think there's so much to learn like I uh, always like you know making a better cutback or you know I don't know I that all still like feels so like so much part of my journey. Like I'm always watching like game tape and footage of other people.
0: How did they do that? You know, Who's surfing has been inspiring you lately? Anyone in particular? Well, um, I I mean, I
1: always love like Oscar
0: (laughs) Weinberg. I like,
1: Mm -hmm. he's so good and he's goofy. I I like to watch goofy footers because I don't, I feel like, don't get to see a ton of goofy footers uh who else have I been watching lately Frankie she's been inspiring lately just also because she's a mom and you know she's charging and um yeah just she's also goofy (laughs) that helps
0: yeah she's a great surfer I love her surfing so much it's so just like punk rock just easy and oh beautiful powerful and
1: right yeah, yeah, and it's beautiful and flowy and powerful oh, all at the same time.
0: I love that you're you are in this space of riding kind of mid lengths. I know you ride shorter boards too, but I see you as kind of like one of those pioneering women on on the mid in the mid length space because there's so many there. I think mid lengths suit women's bodies in general so well, mm. and and it's this kind of underexplored, underappreciated board range for women in particular, in terms of entry speed and ease, like bringing the longboard thing to a more maneuverable craft. And I'm just, I am obsessed with mid-lengths right now. So I'm always inspired to see other women writing them beautifully too, like you do and Frankie too. And
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I don't think I've ever been like, oh, I'm going to be a, a shoe reporter because <laughs> that's such a... Silly way to say it.
2: Is that how they all <laughs> yeah, <don't> talk? it's <laughs> you can say that because we're we're not shortboarders. So you can say that voice if you want. <laughs> I think it is how they talk. I
1: don't know. <laughs> I, I just know that like that's probably not in my um. It doesn't feel realistic to me. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I do it. I you know I do it in like I I like it. Um, but I always have more fun like on a longer, like mid length, but not. And I love longboarding too, but sometimes that feels like a, a lot of work to have a long board out there and bigger waves. I just don't, that doesn't feel good to me. <laughs> um, I would like to be able to duck mm. dive still. And like, yeah, I just love that the midline is so cruisy and it feels like more of a dance, you know, it feels like you can just, I don't know, be, be more like experimental and because it's not dominated, I think by a particular mm. group of folks it's uh, it just feels like there's more room to have a different interpretation of it, <laughs> or something. I don't know if that is just me making up excuses for how I surf, but <laughs> I don't know.
2: No, well, it certainly seems to be uh, a period in time right now here where we live on the east coast of Australia too, where there's a lot of people riding that shape now, um, not just women. And having a lot more ease and enjoyment in lineups. And that that wasn't the way. That wasn't the way 20 years ago it, or 10 years ago in a lot of places. There was a lot of struggle and a lot of frustration in lineups. Like, you know, it was generally a lot more of a scrappier place. I think it probably still is at Steamer Lane there or at those waves in town where you live where people get on that trip.
1: And there's <laughs> yeah, still here you know, too. <laughs> yeah,
2: there's there's places like that all over the world oh, still yeah. clinging. <laughs> Onto whatever ideas they got in their head, but there is this change within surfing, and it's probably cool for someone like yourself to hear that. Um, you know, if you're riding mid lengths the way they're made now, as opposed to how some used to be made, so they used to be a lot heavier, a lot slower, a lot just different. Um, there there is this excitement around them right now and it's a really nice thing to see because it means people are catching waves easier they might give a wave to somebody else on occasion even (laughs) and and then stand up and if the wave backs off you can stand there and be relaxed and enjoy the ride a little bit instead of having to hump the board up and down and pump the thing like a crazy person and and it's nice. It's just a nice thing to see. That's a nice change in the character of lineups around the world and um, and certainly a lot more young women and older women in lineups together. And it's good. It's just a good thing. It feels so much healthier and such, um, such a more welcoming place than so many of these lineups used to be. Yeah,
1: it's just That's... funner, you know. It just feels, mm. yeah, it feels like yeah. people are... Uh... I think I see it here too, like I think people in the last couple of years are trying to give some waves away, they're having restraint. <laughs> I think that's hard when it's always, you know, <laughs> been yours or um, whatever. So uh, that's nice to mm. see. I, I've also purchased mm. a mat and fins, so oh, yeah, I'm oh. going to be doing that more. <laughs> Just,
2: can, oh, can we ask who, who, who made your oh, mat?
1: Oh, um, fourth gear flyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good. That's the best yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, my friend Mary. Nice. She's like Mary Mill. She's really into it, and like it's just so cool to see her. Um, you know, riding a mat and like just totally inspired me. So I'm, I'm right. excited. I, I
0: think it's, it's you can't not have a good time on so, like you can't not have a good time. You'll be so seeing fun. me on the mat a little bit more. <laughs> <But> anyway, <laughs> What are you? What are you dreaming up right now, Chelsea? What are you working on, Um, or not working on?
1: I am working on a. I'm cooking a a baby (laughs) in
0: my stomach.
1: (laughs) So uh, (laughs) in my stomach. stomach. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you know, it's a scary thing, but I'm I'm Mm. hopeful that things are going to go well, and yeah, we're going to be riding the mat a little more, and um, yeah, hopefully. Documenting that experience a little bit too. So that's what I'll be working on. Just a little baby mm. project. The most creative work <laughs> you can do. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: The most the most creative act. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, congratulations. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> How far along are you now? I'm 14 weeks. Okay. Yeah. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling okay so far. I think
1: uh, we'll see what happens in the next, like, five, six weeks, but this is all, you know, it's an exciting time and I'm trying to be really happy about it. And, you know, I think there's this like urgency to hide these things until we get to a certain point and trying to take like some advice from other folks to just, you know, enjoy these moments and until mm. you know just keep enjoying things mm. and don't worry try not to worry about all the other stuff
0: it's I, I I don't know if it was like this for you but for me pregnancy was one of the ultimate teachers of how little control we have you know when it comes yeah. to self cells dividing and subdividing we can be yeah. in our bodies we can be present but whether we're stressing and scared or joyous and happy, no control either way. It's right. Intense. Yeah. We're just going to try to
1: be joyous and happy and excited and share the moments and all of the moments. And yeah, I think I'm trying to look at it as from a different approach. Like initially I think I was like, ah, you know, I'm so scared. I don't want to tell anybody. Um, uh, Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I want to be happy and like yeah. it's a really exciting like, time for
0: us. So. Oh,
1: <laughs> so
0: exciting! Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm so, so yeah, happy for you. Wow, that's like a um, perfect <laughs> ending to an hour long podcast to come full circle <laughs> to to the the hope of the future. Yeah, yeah. and Matt writing. I know. Um, I remember S- Serena Williams won a grand slam when she was pregnant and I felt like if she right. can do that, then surely I should be able to surf through mine. Right. Right. I, could, <laughs> I couldn't, but, but yeah. is that, is that what you're going to be going for trying to stay in the water or how's it feel? I like, have
1: been, I've been trying to stay in the water. I've, I've gotten out um, um, this last week has been kind of, it was really uh, the waves were kind of punchy. It was that South swell from T. I think. So I kind of sat out (laughs) this time, just watched because it just didn't look like um, super approachable. I was very crowded. Mm. So, but I have been getting out there and maybe against my doctor's orders, (laughs) Mm. but I I think ultimately I I know when my limit is, you know, so Mm. I'm going to just take it day by day and see how I feel. And Yeah. Get on the surf mat or swim um, and try to get in the ocean and get ocean time. And just been lucky to have lots of ladies around here that have uh, gone through pregnancy and, you know, stayed surfing or wrote a mat or whatever as Mm -hmm. have as an example. And
0: yeah.
1: So I'm I'm excited. Um, Mm -hmm. And I definitely want to document this moment and use it as an educational um, moment as well and
0: Mm. hoping to put out something that is meaningful (laughs) we um we watched Nightcrawler and I just have to say that it's the words in particular as a writer I just your words are so beautiful the visuals too but I just was struck and I said this earlier but there's just nothing like that edit in surf culture and so I just feel like surf culture is so lucky for you to have chosen surfing to get to inject you into this culture and um, and all your creativity and um, and your work with textured waves and pushing toward social justice and inclusivity and changing the visual narrative so thank you so much for all of that Thank you. Thank you. Um, I dedicated that film to my
1: other daughter. Her name was Luna. And so very much, though I didn't, I never talked about it, but it's very much centered around, you know, her and a tribute to, you know, everything that happened in those last, Mm. you know, two years. So thank Mm. you. I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening with us today. If you have a spare moment, please leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. Both help us to grow the podcast, which helps us find the best stories from our global community of water people. Our editor this season is Tiffany Richmond. The podcast soundtrack was composed by Shannon Sol Carroll, with additional tunes improvised by Dave and goofy-footed legends Neil Purchase Jr. and Christian Barker. Our visual artist in residence this season is Matt Allen. He's a photographer, graphic designer, and fine artist. You'll find his work on the Water People Instagram this season, and you can find his portfolio and prints on mattallen.com. We'll be continuing today's conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcast.